Thank you. We're going to look at Galatians today, the book of Galatians, <clears throat> great book. Chapter 1, we're in verse 11. We're going to look at Paul's calling. There's certainly a true calling, a heavenly calling. We'll look at that in just a few moments. Saul, as he was known by prior to his conversion, possibly was named after Saul of uh, the King Saul of the Old Testament, a big man. But after uh, chapter 13, he begins to go by the name of Paul. Uh, most of your Bible apostles had a name, a Hebrew name, and then a name that was known uh, in the Greek world. And this was a Latin name, Paul, and uh, which means little. And uh, he's a little guy, but uh, and that's not just because of his name, but he was small in stature, as was the Lord, but great in God's work. Started History tells us he started 50 or 51 churches, maybe five or six churches in Galatia alone. So he's just a great man of God. Changed his name in Acts 13 after winning his first Gentile convert, a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus. And that's his first convert, a Gentile. God had called him to be uh, an evangelist and a church planter to the Gentiles. He, along with Barnabas, uh, started several churches, as we said, in the region of Galatia. Galatians is not known as a city per se. It's more of a region and an area. We're studying Bible cities on Wednesday night. We show photos of the cities and we study Bible cities. But Galatia was more of a, a spread out uh, area. A lot of farmers, a lot of people who travel a great distance to their little house churches. And uh, he started many of those on his first missionary journey. Today, Galatia, that region's in the area of Turkey. And uh, Paul, as we know, was an apostle. Remember, an apostle had to have seen the resurrected Christ. And if you had seen the resurrected Christ and you were called by God, you'd be called an apostle. There are 17 named apostles in your Bible. We'll mention those later. We know that in chapter uh, verse 1, chapter 10, we let off last week. Paul had said that uh, uh, he only would serve one master. And the one who had liberated him and called him unto salvation was the Lord. And when God called him, he gave him freedom. And this one thing I, I, I've never liked is, is, is a church full of rules. That's not freedom. When we're saved, we're free from the law of sin and we're free from the handwritten ordinances of the Old Testament. And the Galatians were free, in spite of the fact that some of the Judaizers wanted to bring them back into the law, demand Gentiles be circumcised. Paul is writing this book to refute all of that. And he talks about, in chapter 10, about the importance of pleasing God. Don't be a man pleaser. Don't live your life to impress other people. Live your life to please the Lord. And we know he liberates us. And God's liberty bell is not cracked. God's liberty bell is not cracked. Look at, stand with me. I know that's the tradition here. Chapter 1, verse 11. I'm going to read fairly quickly today. He says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. <clears throat> For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased 
God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither I went, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But the other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. That we'll glean some handfuls on purpose, Lord, that you've given us and for our hearts. You know every heart here. You know every problem here. You know every challenge here. You know the discouraged. You know the proud. You know the weak and feeble, and you know those that are down and out, God, but they're your children, and if they're born again, they're your children. We just pray you'll speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We pick up in verse 11. He says, I certify, and this Greek word is translated declare in your Bible. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died and was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. A clear definition of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verses 1 through 4. We know what the gospel is, the death, burial, and the resurrection. He said, I certify or I declare unto you the gospel. And he, he says here in, in verse 11, I, I love how he says this. He says, the, 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 the gospel that I preach, and that's our Greek word evangelism, by the way. The word preach sometimes means proclaim here. It's evangelize. He says, which was preached of me is not after man. And one scholar quotes it like this. It's no mere human invention. It's no mere human invention. Think of all the denominations, not denominations, but all the cults. You know, all the false religions that were made by man. And the gospel that's preached to us today from the word of God is God's gospel. And he sent his son. And so we find here, he says, I certify, I declare it unto you that it's not a man-made invention. And he goes on to say, man didn't save me and man didn't call me. He said, so I'm going to answer to God, the one who called me and saved me. He's refuting the Judaizers who wanted to control him. He's not saying he didn't need accountability. We all need accountability. There's one thing I hate to see in churches is a Baptist church where there's no accountability. You know, I've, I've said this in this pulpit. If I fall into sin, the people of this church need to get rid of me. The, the board needs to stand up and say, you're wrong. You know, you're in sin. And I don't plan on going out and doing anything bad. Relax. But my point is this. Every pastor has to have accountability. Every Christian has to be accountable to your spouse, to fellow church workers, and, and have someone in your life who you can have an account and give an account to, someone you trust that can call you out uh, when you're wrong. And, and so he said, he said, I'm going to answer to God who called me. And I love the fact that he says, I wasn't called by human invention, the next verse, but by divine revelation. And I, 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 I can't stand all these daddy-called preachers. <clears throat> I've known so many guys, their dad was a pastor, and so happens the son goes into ministry. And so many times I've seen it become a disaster. You know, when I was called by God, my dad didn't know anything about it until I called him and told him he was only a deacon. Not that a deacon's lesser, but I'm just saying he, he wasn't a preacher, but I knew God called me. 
and I was in a little trailer in Tree and Sky Mobile Home Park. I'd finished my undergrad work, and I said, uh, you know, I'm just going to uh, keep doing my trade and, and do that, and, and the Lord wouldn't have any of that. He began to bother me. And I remember the day when I was at the table in my little kitchen, and I said, all right, God, I'll, I'll preach if, if you open up doors, and boy, did doors open. Uh, a week later, I had been in three churches, and three churches had taken me on for support to go to the mission field and start a church in the Panama Canal of the U.S. military. But I know so many daddy-called preachers, and I, I know one family I think of who the dad was a well-known preacher and uh, ended up having to get out of the ministry, or at least his ministry lacked credibility because of his morals. His son uh, became a preacher. His two sons-in-laws became a preacher. His son ruined church after church, immoral, immoral activity. And I know his son-in-law, uh, I preached for him down in Atlanta, and my wife, we left. My wife said, he was hitting on me. And I said, no, no, sweetheart, he wasn't hitting on you. He's a preacher. And she said, oh, I could feel it. The next week it was revealed that he had a bunch of women. He got caught. He got exposed. And the other brother-in-law is now in prison for being a pedophile. Now, I'm not saying that preacher's sons who are called in the ministry are going to be immoral. But I'm saying this. When God calls us, it's divine revelation. It's not a feeling that we make a decision in one church service. I went forward in a church service back years ago in a chapel service, and I, I said I'll do anything God has me or wants me to do. I didn't plan on being a preacher. I remember crutching up the steps. I'd broken my leg. I came to Temple on a scholarship, and Steve Redding said, you're going to be a preacher. And I, I got irritated. I said, I'm not here to be a preacher. I'm here to play ball. And I thought, I'm here to find a wife as well. But, you know, I wasn't planning on being a preacher. God interrupted my life. He made me miserable doing what I was doing, and the only way I could have any peace was to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And I think of Paul and all he had done, all the things he had done wrong, but here God called him. We pick up in verse 12. So I received it, not by man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Great word, apocalypse. An uncovering. And God, the Holy Spirit, had called him and, and had taught him. I think of the early apostles taught by Jesus Christ. Then he went away. Then the Holy Spirit, the Bible said he is sent to be teachers. You know, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us. The greatest things I get in my life in the Word of God are Holy Spirit given. Now, I have a massive library. I was, the other day, I, I was looking through Romans. I have 70 commentaries on Romans. Uh, 70 books, this big, just all about Romans. But you know, the greatest lessons I learn are when the Holy Spirit points out something in Scripture to me. Sometimes none of them even mention it. And the Lord says, but look at this, young man. And, and, and I, I let, young, thank you for the compliment of myself. I pat myself on the back. And, and I, I get a little something from the Holy Spirit, and, and, I, and I begin to cry. And I, oh, Lord, thank you for that. I never thought of that. Thank you, Lord, for that idea. And he's so good about that. And here Paul, he, he says he's taught by the Lord. He's taught by the Lord. And he says here, by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we have human invention and divine revelation. And then he talks about the Jews' religion in verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation. This is an interesting word. It means lifestyle. It's translated, conversation translated behavior in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. They knew all about Paul. In fact, 
when he first became a Christian, everyone was afraid of him. Why? He had gone around and killed Christians. He had Christians killed. He gave the orders to stone Stephen. He was an evil, evil man. And he thought he was doing the right thing. A lot of times we think about Paul and we talk about, well, what a jerk he was, he killed people. That's all true. But Paul thought he was doing God's work. Because remember, Deuteronomy said if a Jew taught false doctrine, what would they do to him? Kill him. Here are these Jews, these apostles, all but one a Jew, teaching that Jesus is a Messiah. And to Paul, that's false doctrine. So he says, I'm going to deal with that. And he's killing these people. He is on his way up to Damascus to get more names and more permission slips to kill more Christians. And the Lord appeared to him. And you know the great story in the Damascus Road. And so he has this lifestyle, this behavior, this Jewish religion, and his Judaism. And it says in verse 13 here that I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And wasted it. That word, look down in verse 23, it's translated, the last line, destroyed Same Greek word translated wasted is translated destroyed. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 21, Luke shares this, uh, a word on this, on Paul's conversion. Look what it says in Luke, uh, or excuse me, Acts 9, 21. Luke's the author of, of Acts, but verse 21, it says this. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on this, on his name in Jesus, or this name Jesus, this name in Jerusalem? They're shocked. He's the one who was trying to destroy the church. And that's the word here. He wasted the church of God. He was out to destroy the church. I have news for you. When people try to hurt God's people, they're hurting God's children. You know? And and God takes offense to that. God loves us and he protects us. And sometimes he allows us to be harmed. But when you harm a child of God, you're harming God himself. We know the Bible says when you give a cup of water to a child, that's giving a cup of water to Jesus. We're important to God. We're, we're the children of, of him, and, and he loves us and takes care of us. And so he's talking about the Jews' religion. He says in verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion. And this word really means to blaze a trail or to cut forward. It's translated proceed in 2 Timothy 3.9. And in Luke 3.52, it's translated increased. Remember, Jesus increased in three areas. He increased in wisdom, stature, and uh, his, his physical increase, his mental increase, and, and his favor with God is spiritual increase. Jesus increased. That's the word here. Paul was the head of the class. He excelled. He, he, he just surpassed all of his peers as he began to learn Scripture. And in those days, we know that that uh, it wasn't like the bar mitzvah today where you just go through a little, uh, a few of the motions. Back then, when you went to tw- at 12 years old to the synagogue to learn, you had to memorize great portions of the Old Testament law. Paul knew the scriptures forward and backwards. He just missed the most important point, Jesus. But he got that on the Damascus Road. He said, it profited me. Uh, you know, I, I, I was the head of my class. I was outdoing my peers. He was a, a second generation Pharisee. Look with me at Luke chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, if you will. And just look at this one verse here, and then we'll go to Philippians. Acts chapter 23. I need to slow down a little bit. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren 
that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not... I'm, I'm reading Acts chapter 23 and verse 5, where, and I've got the wrong... I'm in, I'm in chapter... I'm in the wrong place. But anyway, he says that he is the son of a Pharisee. The son of a Pharisee. And so we know he's a second-generation Pharisee. Pardon me for the wrong reference. Son of, of a Pharisee. His dad was a Pharisee. So Paul was really uh, well-connected, well-versed. He was a leader. He had been taught by Gamiel, a doctor of the law. I mean, Paul was a brilliant man. Remember in, in, in uh, Corinthians, he said, I, I thank God I speak with more tongues than all of you. That's the Greek word we translate today, dialect. He said, I know more dialects than all of you. No doubt he knew Latin fluently. He, he could speak Greek fluently, Hebrew, Aramaic. He was a brilliant man. And he was a son of a Pharisee. And, and then we find in Philippians chapter 3. Turn there. I believe I have the right place this time. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Listen to what he says here. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he, he might trust in the flesh, I more. I could really have confidence in my flesh. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And by the way, uh, you know, God knew long before medical doctors that the blood clotting begins on the eighth day. And that's why God ordered circumcision on the eighth day. He said, I circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law blameless. He said, I, I wasn't doing wrong by harming the righteous according to what I'd been taught. But look here. He's excelled in, in all these areas. Think of Paul's resume before and after conversion. Could you imagine if a church got his resume? Well, I'd committed murder. I was persecuting the church. I'd been taught by the greatest professor in the Old Testament era. I knew all these, I knew all these languages. I did this, I did that. Started, then after his conversion, I started all these churches. Was a leader amongst the apostles. Won all these people to Christ. What a man this guy was. And yet, what does he say about himself? He says three things I find interesting. He says, I'm the least of the lesser of saints. Or I'm the lesser of the least of saints. I'm the lowest human being. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst sinner. And of course, I've quoted this before. He said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And Paul makes it very clear that he was rotten to the core. He had a resume that would just blow your socks off. I mean, what a resume. And yet, he says, I'm nothing. And I love that about Paul. He's humble. He realizes that he's nothing but by the grace of God. He says here, in, in, back in verse 14, he says in our text, goes on to say here, he says, and I was zealous of the tradition of my father's. The word zealous, by the way, comes from the same root word that's translated jealous. Same word. What does it say about God in Scripture? God can never sin, but he is a jealous God, isn't he? God protects and guards his own. And God hates it when we love the world. Because really, the Bible says in James, we're cheating on God when we love the things of the world. They become idols in our lives. God wants us to love him and give him our time 
and attention. I'll guarantee God's jealous if, if Dan watches three football games in a row and doesn't talk to him all day. Did you know that? God is jealous when we put other things ahead of him. And here Paul says, I was zealous. He had a lot of zeal. And God's a jealous God. It says in verse 15 that God separated him. It pleased God. Please God. A word meaning to think well. Similar to our word we use in funerals. We have that eulogo to, to speak well. We eulogize people. I've joked about that before. You go to a funeral. Someone stands up talking about the dead. And you think, that's not the guy. He wasn't that good of a person. And, uh, you know, God, God sees us as covered in the blood. He doesn't see our sin. He thinks well and he speaks well of us. We're his beloved. God loves us. It's hard to think about that. Do you know God loves you? Your wife may not stand you sometimes, but God loves you. Your husband may not like you sometimes, but God's love is unconditional. And when we have sin, we confess it, and he'll cleanse us. That catheter gets the yuck out, and God sees us as cleansed. I love that. I love that God loves even me. He loves you. And that's a great thought, that he thinks well of us, he loves us. And he says here that God calls him, separated me from a mother's womb. The word separated comes from our word horizon. You look across the horizon. God separates us. He sets us apart. I heard about those two guys from Alabama. One was on one side of the lake and the other was on the other side of the lake. And the one guy hollered over, how do I get to the other side? The other one thought for a few minutes and hollered back, you are on the other side. (laughs) God sets us apart, doesn't he? We, we We can't be like the world. We're different. Jeremiah was separated from the womb, wasn't he? Jacob and Esau, the Bible says, wrestled to get out of the womb first. Esau got out first, but Jacob tricked him out of his his birthright and his blessing. The psalmist said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Did you know those little bitty babies are sinners? Even in the womb. You know, that little baby's born and you hold it and it's great and then you lay it down and it cries. It's just lying. Nothing wrong with that, baby. Pick it up, stops crying. Hey, there's something here. <laughs> you think they're perfect, and then they're about 10 months old. I remember Jeremy, who's now be 40 this year, crawling over to the stereo and getting up. His legs wobbling. He's 10 months old, and he's going to go turn this radio way up. I mean, he knows how that works. And I said, no, and he, he looks around at me. And when I'm looking away, then he goes, 10 months old, turns that volume way up. And then I... Have to do that. Have to do that. You know, and, and they're not—they're not innocent. They're—they're they're sinful. They may not reach an accountability till years later. We don't know that age. In the Old Testament, it was twelve years old. But but little rascals—they can sin, can't they? And they do. And and yet, from the womb, Paul says, "I was separated. I was called." The word revelation applies to several different things in your Bible. It's used in reference to taking the lid off is what it means, but it's used in reference to to, uh, the incarnation of Christ, that he was a God-man. It's used in reference to Jesus Christ coming back again and revealing himself. The judgment seat of Christ is where it's used. Glorification of believers. The unveiling of the truth. The glorification of believers. Did you know one day you're going to have a glorified body? 
You know, I love Romans, those great five doctrines, condemnation. Oh, I, I fit right there. But I've got justification as well. And then sanctification, consecration, and finally glorification. That's the final step at the rapture, when we get our new body. I mean, we carry around this dead carcass, and it causes us a lot of problems, doesn't it? Yesterday, I had two donuts and a slice of banana bread, more than I needed. This morning, I got up, I had my half a banana with my pills, and I got here, and I went to the kitchen, and there was a little sweet roll, and they were, they were calling my name. And a little piece of sweet roll. A little, piece, a little Pop-Tart, one Pop-Tart. And I thought, i got to stop. i got to stop. And I did. Victory this morning. Two little things. But your old nature causes you problems. Your old body, doesn't it? And I, I, I express that enough for you to understand that. We have a sinful body. And he says here, I'm called to the, he's separating me, to reach the heathen, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach, evangelize him among the heathen. And that's the word ethnos, the word ethnic comes from that. And he's referring to Gentiles. God called him to the Gentiles. Look at Romans 11, 13. Romans 11, 13. He says here, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine own office. He said, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. That's my calling. I'm sent, I'm called to the apostles. Peter was called primarily to the Jews. Paul loved Gentiles. He loved all the people of the world. He had a missionary heart. And so he has here, you know, he's called to, to present the Gospels. In verse 17, he talks about his apostolic affirmation. He says here, Neither went out to Jerusalem to them which were apostles. I, I didn't go to them. I wasn't trained by the twelve. You know where Paul went? To the desert for three years. We don't have anything on that except he disappeared for three years. And then after that, he comes back and spends 15 days with Peter. Verse 18, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. He finally meets Peter. Spends 15 days to get to know Peter. God taught him in the school of hard knocks in the desert. And we know the great story of Paul. How he was blinded when he saw the Lord. The brightness. Ananias prayed and the Bible says things fell off his eyes like scales. That's in Acts uh, chapter 9. Evidently as corny was burnt, we don't know, but... Ananias prayed in, in, in chapter 9, 18 of Acts, and his, his blindness went away. And he could now see physically where he learned to see spiritually. Generally speaking, if you say there are 17 named apostles in your Bible. One was a fraud, Judas. One was a replacement, Matthias. Barnabas is called an apostle. Uh, Paul is called an apostle. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus Christ is called an apostle. But here, notice James is called one here. He says, I didn't see any apostles other than James, the Lord's brother. The Lord's brother, the one who wrote the book of James. He was later called an apostle. And so he, he, he meets with the apostles. He meets with Peter, meets the apostles, but he's not trained by them. He's trained by the Lord. And we look at verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith that was delivered that he once destroyed. He once tried to ruin the faith and ruin the church. But I think of Paul and all the great things he did. Blinded by the light. 
we could say. I, I think of others. I think of Fanny Crosby. Uh, she viewed her blindness as a special gift from God. Helen Keller, who said, I thank God for my handicap, for through them I found myself, my work, and most of all, my God. I think of the little mole, you know, little ground mole. They, they're almost blind. They can barely see, but God builds a little seismograph into their head and into their tail. And they always know where they are and what direction they're going because of the Creator. Isn't that something the way God makes creatures like that? So many miracles in nature point to God. And yet Paul is, is, is a miracle as well. Paul reminds me of the metamorphosis, which is a Greek word you're familiar with, used in Romans chapter 12 to transferred. It's used in Matthew 17, transformed, with a transfiguration, Matthew 17, transformation in Romans chapter 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's the word metamorphosis, and, and that's what's happened in our lives. And Paul was, was like a cocoon. He was just wrapped up in that cocoon of legalism. He was miserable in that legalism. He's trying to kill the Jews. And that's all he knew was the Jews' religion. And that these Christians need to be killed because they're preaching blasphemy. He's wrapped up in this cocoon. Someone once said, salvation is a change. But oh, what a change it is. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And when I got saved, I had a new inner man. I knew that right away. Still had the old outer man, and there's this old battle between old and new Dan goes on all the time. But, but like, it, like that little caterpillar goes in, there were 14 legs and all that fur, and it comes out with just six legs, and the fur's gone. It's a miracle. No one can explain it. Science struggles with it. We understand it because it's the handiwork of God. And Paul was like that. He was crawling around in this dusty, dirty world in sin and lost, wrapped up finally in a cocoon. And guess what? God set him free. And like that butterfly flew away, Paul one day will come out of the grave and fly away. Amen. Are you like that? Have you experienced a metamorphosis in your life? Do you know Jesus Christ? Has he made a change inside? You know, the Bible says one day we'll fly away, the rapture of the church, in my robe of white. I'll return one day, but I'm going to fly away. I'll be like that butterfly, released from this old tabernacle. I look forward to that. What a miracle we have in the life of Paul. And if you're without that miracle today, I'd come forward and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need that change inside, and only God can make that change. He's a change maker. He's a miracle worker. And when you trust Jesus as your Savior, old things are passed away and all things are become new. And that metamorphosis, you're that butterfly that's given its freedom. And it's wonderful to have experienced God in my life in that way. And I remember my calling. I shared that with you already in my trailer in Korean Sky Mobile Home Park. And then I remember my ordination Back in 1982, I'd been a youth guy, but now God's ordained me to preach. And I remember the questions. I memorized all kinds of scriptures to answer their questions. But one guy asked me a question I really didn't know how to answer with scripture. His name was Ray Thompson. He said, Dan, if we don't lay hands on you and ordain you today, what are you going to do? And I was just so dumb and bullheaded. I said, I'm going to preach anyway. And they liked the answer. I didn't know that's what they were looking for. 
But I told them, I'm called. I have to preach. And they said, amen. You know what? If God has called you to serve him, you need to surrender. But you're here today, and if you're without the Lord, he's calling you to salvation. He wants to save you. And you need to put your faith and trust in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Oh, we thank you that we are so blessed because Jesus Christ, your son, made a way. It worked a miracle, a metamorphosis. He transformed my life. Thank you for that metamorphosis. Thank you for Paul, called and saved and, Lord, serving you. What a great example of a change, a man who hated the church and eventually died a martyr. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. Bless now as we have our invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.